0: Our scripture this morning comes from Acts chapter 10, verse 34 through 48, found on page 1092 in your Pew Bible. If you are new with us and you don't have a Bible, there is a black one there in your pew. That's the page number for you to follow along. And if you don't own a Bible, that is our gift to you. It is not stealing from us if you take that Bible home. We designed it in fact so you could take home. So if you don't own the Word of God, we want you to have it in your hand so that you can read it every day. And if you have questions about what version is the best version of the Bible to read, it's whatever one you will pick up and read every day. Um, so find one that you like, find one that you'll get into, and enjoy the Word of God. Again, that's Acts 10, 34 through 48. And it is written. how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. For God was with him, and we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who will ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Then they asked him to remain some days. Here ends the reading of God's word. May his eternal truth be imprinted on our hearts. Let us pray. O holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Before I get... Started today and get too deep into it. I do have a bit of a disclaimer. You might get offended today by what is preached from up here, it might go against your sensibilities. And the gospel and the truth found within Scripture does that. And so, if you find yourself getting offended in the middle of this sermon, I ask that you take that anger, that offense, and put a pen in it, pray about it, search it out in Scripture. If you find that I have misled you and mistreated Scripture, come to me and, and we will talk about it and I will quickly repent. But if you find that what was preached is the truth found within Scripture, then you're not angry at me, you're angry at the Bible and that's a whole nother issue. But the truth proclaimed in the gospel, it's offensive. It's offensive to our sensibilities, especially here in the United States, as one of the greatest things we value over anything else is freedom. The gospel is offensive to it. It's offensive to the very notion of the American dream that we can pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and do better by ourselves. It can be offensive to our very sensibilities of understanding love and how gracious it was even to us and how it would be unfair if not everybody experienced it. But it's the word of God. It offended me too at one point in my life. Wrestling with the very question, can't I just be a good person and get to heaven? can't I just be a good person and get to heaven? To come to that understanding after reading scripture would be a serious misunderstanding. It would be dangerous even to put that kind of understanding towards God in his very nature. To say that a good person can get to heaven without Jesus based on their merits of being a good person would declare that God holds a balance or a set of scales in which he measures our good deeds versus our bad deeds. And the goal by the end of our life is that our good deeds outweigh our bad deeds. And if they do, then we're good to go. If they don't, then we're in trouble. But that's not who God is revealed to be in Scripture. Nor is it what is required of us if we do want to earn heaven, if we want to earn heaven, merely being good isn't good enough. What God requires is perfection. What God's law that he set forth, found in the Old Testament, is perfection. And as we've been going through the book of Acts, we've come here to chapter 10 in which we see That the gospel of Jesus Christ that was once for the Jews within Jerusalem has spread to Judea and Samaria. And now we're at the point where Peter realizes and Gentiles realize that the good news of Jesus Christ is for everyone. No one is outside the reach of the love and the grace of Jesus Christ. That what Jesus accomplished on the cross wasn't limited to a few but was made available to all. And in this, in chapter 10, and we see this overarching theme, and we'll get into it even next week when Peter goes back to the apostles and reports on what happened with Cornelius and the Gentiles, is that this whole new understanding that this gospel isn't just a secondary movement within Judaism, but it is a movement for the entire world to the ends of the earth, which includes us today. And last week we met a man named Cornelius. Scriptures told us about Cornelius, that Cornelius was a centurion in the Roman army. And a centurion in the Roman army would be a man who has some leadership, who has gone up in rank and is in charge of about 600 men. And he was stationed there in Caesarea, one of the nicest towns. In fact, it's where Herod the Great would headquarter. It was given to him by Emperor Augustus. And Herod the Great spent a lot of money and fortune in making Caesarea a great town. It's about 30 miles north of Joppa or 30 miles north of present-day Tel Aviv. And this is where Cornelius is located. In In verse 2 of chapter 10, it begins telling us a bit about him other than he was a centurion. It tells us that Cornelius, a devout man who feared God and gave alms and prayed to God always. And then he had a vision that when God reached him in all of his goodness and and devoutness and and the religion that he held, and God came to him in visions and angels came to him, didn't confer upon him salvation status, but rather said, go and get Peter. You need to hear what he has to say. And so the men who went to go get Peter, when they're outside the gate and they're saying, we were to bring you to Cornelius, he sent us, and and they tell him he's an upright man. He's God-fearing, and he is well-spoken of by the whole Jewish nation. Everything we can find in scripture about Cornelius the centurion is that he was a good guy. He was a very religious guy. We know that because it says he was devout, and he was a God-fearer. What does God-fearer actually mean? Well, a God-fearer was one of three kinds of Gentiles that the Jewish nation related to. There was One, just Gentiles, those who had other religions or were atheist, agnostic, they were just outside of the ethnic Jewish world. They were Gentiles. And then there were God-fearing Gentiles, like Cornelius, those who had given up their other religion, their other way of believing, and believed that the God of Israel was the one true God, however they were not circumcised. So they remained outside of the fold, outside of God's Promise. And then there was the proselytes, those who believed the God of Israel was the one true God and were circumcised. Now, they would never ethnically be Jewish, but they were considered Jewish spiritually, part of the fold, going to synagogue, believing in the festivals. And the scripture tells us that Cornelius was a God-fearing Gentile, a very religious man. By its own account. However. What we see in scripture is this. One can be very religious. And still need to be saved. In fact. Even good people. Need to be saved too. Jesus says in his own words. In John's gospel. Chapter 14. I am the way the truth and the life. For none shall come to the Father except through me. Jesus doesn't leave many other options available to those of us in the world. The Apostle James, who was with Jesus for those three years and would go on and write his own letter, James in the second chapter, verse 19, says, You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Even the demons believe and shudder. We can go through our whole lives trying to do more good deeds than bad deeds in attempts to merit heaven, and we can find ourselves in the exact same position as the demons, unsaved. We're not beyond God's grace. We just haven't lived into it. We've rested on our own understanding and our own abilities to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. And do this ourselves. The truth is this in Scripture. Salvation is through Christ alone. It is a faith in Jesus and his sufficient and supreme work of his atoning death on the cross, in which three days later he was raised from the dead by God, standing victorious. Over death and Satan. It's believing. It's repenting. It's being baptized. Because no matter how good we are, the standard, the standard set forth by the law of God, is perfection. No matter how good we think we are, We are rebels against God. And it's hard to hear that. Sometimes we will hide ourselves in public and from our own selves trying to convince just how good we are. One of the greatest dangers ever befallen to us was a trick given to us by the devil in which we compare ourselves against one another. Well, at least I'm better than so-and-so. Better than so-and-so doesn't get you into heaven. You have to be better than Jesus. And we can't do it. We fail every time. But see, the law doesn't just set for us an unattainable salvation, the law is there and it demonstrates exactly how great our need for a Savior is. And then it also demonstrates exactly how great and perfect and spotless and blameless Jesus is. Who was so innocent, so undeserving of death, yet chose to give His life as a ransom for us. Out of pure love, so that we might know grace and that we might get to enjoy the Father in eternity forever. And as we read this story, we see that God had prepared the heart of Cornelius. He was a God-fearer, devout man, giving alms, praying to God, but yet he lacked one thing. He lacked hearing, knowing, knowing. And believing the gospel. So he had him send for Peter. Peter was the one who got chosen to be sent to deliver the gospel to Cornelius, his household, and his friends. And it was there that Peter preaches in our scripture today a very simple presentation of the gospel. He begins by telling him that God shows no partiality. Peter does not come in hoity-toity saying, well, I was Jewish first and then I became a follower of Jesus, so I am better off than any Gentile that can ever get here. He says, God shows no partiality among the nations that all are regarded as equally lovable. So he begins. He begins and he says in verse 36... The word that was sent to Israel that he brings to them is good news of peace through Jesus Christ, for he is Lord of all. Now, it's interesting that Peter would use this language and say that he has good news of peace through Jesus Christ. He didn't say he has good news of salvation through Jesus Christ. He didn't say he had good news of forgiveness through Jesus Christ. He said he brings good news of peace through Jesus Christ. Why would Peter call this good news peaceful news? Why would he do that? It's because Cornelius is a good man. What does Cornelius need with peace? Other than when we are in our sin, no matter how good we are, we are rebels against God. And it's what Jesus accomplished on the cross. Taking on our sin, putting on his righteousness so that we might be justified before God, set in right standing before God, adopted as sons and daughters before the God most high that we then become no longer rebels against God but we become a family and we are now at peace with God. So Peter comes proclaiming good news Peace through Jesus Christ. See, this, this is that peace of Christ that passes all understanding. The peace that says one sacrifice for all times, no other sacrifices are ever needed, that we read in the book of Hebrews that says it is Jesus alone who brings us peace with God. Even when we did not deserve it, Paul will write in his letter to Romans, but while we were yet sinners... Deserving of death because the wages of sin is death. While we deserved death, rebelling against God, Christ died for us. Proving God's love so that we may be at peace with God for eternity. Not for a moment, not until we do something bad and we have to go and get at peace again, but for eternity. So, Peter presents the gospel. He says, y'all heard what happened down in Judea. Started over in Galilee with John the Baptist and the water baptisms and then uh, the anointing of Jesus of Nazareth. And he goes and he does miracles and he heals people and brings them out of oppression from the devil. And then they hung him on a tree. but God raised him three days later, standing victorious over Satan and death. And he punctuates his short presentation with these words found in verse 42. And he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. Everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. So Peter, who just proclaimed the gospel of good news of peace, of grace and love before Cornelius, a very good and religious man. In no uncertain terms, he tells them that Jesus will either be our deliverer or he will be our judge. There's no gray. There's no in-between. He will either be the one who saves us or the one who judges us. And Cornelius, Cornelius was a good man who needed to be saved because simply being good did not merit heaven for him. He needed to hear the gospel, repent, and be baptized. And the scripture tells us exactly just that, that it was a day like Pentecost that happened there with the Gentiles and there was other men there who attest to it said, yeah, they were speaking in tongues and extolling God. And Peter proclaims, well, if they have the Holy Spirit, how can we hold water baptism away from them? Let's get them wet. And then they ask him to stay for more days so he can teach them all that Jesus commanded. So that they could become disciples. James writes in chapter 2, verse 10. For whoever keeps the whole law yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. This means being good or having more good than bad still makes us sinners in need of a Savior. But here's something as Christians we can still get messed up on. Sometimes we fall into the trap that we come to Jesus and and we believe him for the forgiveness of our sins past and present. And yet we believe that we must then go forward being more good than we are bad. And that is not at all how this grace thing works with Jesus. It is a once sacrifice for all. There's no more other sacrifices coming. There's no more penance to be paid for the bad that we've done. Jesus has forgiven us once and for all. We no longer carry it with us. The calling for us when we realize that we have sinned after we come to faith is mere repent, confession and repentance. For by our baptism, it confers that we have already been adopted as sons and daughters of the God most high. When we come to the table and we taste of this bread and drink from this cup, we remember that we are loved and we belong to God. There's no other need for a sacrifice that what Jesus accomplished in the forgiving of sins was passed present, and future for all time. It says in scripture, no other sacrifice will ever be needed again. So if you've been beating yourself up, thinking that, yeah, I believe in Jesus and he forgave everything previously, but yet I've still had this messed up life and I've struggled and I've done some really awful things and some good things and I don't know where the balance falls out. The balance falls out unfairly in your favor because of what Christ did not because of anything we did, but because of what he did. I mean, Paul puts it in a completely different way when he writes in Romans chapter 3, verse 23. He says, all have fallen short, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So how can anyone be saved and have eternal life? The truth of the scripture that the Gentiles are finding out for the very first time in their lives when Peter is there, only by God's love and forgiveness in Jesus Christ alone. So I implore you today, I implore you, do not trust your own goodness. Do not trust your own goodness. We can never be good enough to earn our way to heaven. Don't fall into that lie. Don't fall into that trap. It leads to self-doubt. It leads to comparing yourself to others instead of trusting and resting in Jesus. He says he brings good news of peace. What is peaceful about it if we're constantly trying to figure out this merit system and compare ourselves to others? Nothing. It's unrestful. We spend our whole lives then toiling, trying to attain something we can't attain, but that has been given to us graciously by Jesus already. So instead, instead turn to Christ. Because he took our sins and our punishment. Even when he was blameless, spotless, perfect, and innocent. We can't let our pride get in the way of our salvation. We can't think that we're good without God and Jesus in our life, that we got this on our own. That simply isn't so. And what Cornelius came face to face with, with his reputation of being a good guy, a devout, religious, God-fearing Gentile, but is that he still had to admit that he was in need of a Savior. So I leave you with this from the Word of God found in Ephesians. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works, so that no one may boast. Let us pray. Oh, holy God, we come to you in deep gratitude, thanking you for the salvation we have through Jesus' sufficient work. Not that it rests on ourselves and our own actions, but that we can rest and find peace, trusting in Jesus for our salvation. Lord, oftentimes we want to try and do it on our own, we want to think that because we think we're good, we deserve something. When in truth, we've already received more than we could ever ask for. Grant in our hearts gratitude and joy and a peace that because of Jesus passes all understanding. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.